Hey folks, it's John from A's for Alcoholic. Today's conversation is with Taylor Fogarty. You know, we often use the um, descriptor only when we talk about people with certain amounts of sobriety and we say, oh, she's only got six months sobriety. And I don't think that that is always necessarily the best because my conversation with Taylor was anything but um, only something. It was it was exceptional. She was fantastic. One of the more interesting things was that she got sober in the middle of a pandemic on Zoom meetings, and she had never been to an in-person meeting. And that was something that just blew my mind. And I think it's indicative of... I think it's indicative of the program. It's the power of the program, the power of people to help. And that even with a new and different way of coming to recovery and coming to sobriety, that there's there's more... It, it just proves that there's more than one way to to get it and to be a part of it and to incorporate it into your life. And that perhaps there's something that we can learn from those that come after us as much as there is things that we can learn from those that come before us. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Taylor Fogarty. First, I just want to say thank you for doing this. Thank you for reaching out and and offering to share because this has happened a couple of times and it's been really great because I never know. I don't always know who is more vocal about it. You know, right. I connect with some people on Instagram um, and some people are like, yeah, I really like what you do. And other people are much more vocal about it. And so I think it's great that you reached out to me because I wouldn't have known necessarily that you were interested. Um, and thank you for, before we hit record the flattering words about the podcast. And I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think that like you said, a lot of podcasts take themselves very seriously. Yeah. And um, I, we try not to do that because we know how ridiculous it sounds, right. And how, how obvious it is to people so Taylor, um, thank you for coming on here. And my first question, if you've listened to any of the other um, interviews I've done with people, my one of my favorites is, what is the what is the earliest memory that you have of alcohol? When do you remember it coming into your life? Maybe not imbibing it, but being around it. Yeah, I I did know that this question was coming because I listened to all the episodes. Uh, so I thought long and hard about my response. Um, my answer is going to make my upbringing sound much more posh than it was. Um, so when I was younger and my grandmother was alive, she had this tradition of taking all her grandchildren um, out of the country when mm -hmm. they turned around like 12, 11, something like that. And so when it was my turn, uh, she took me and some of my cousins to Germany. Um, and I remember my first memory of alcohol was there being offered Baileys in my hot chocolate as a child. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if I registered that it was alcohol. I just was like, sure, like more 
you know, something for my fun something. And I remember drinking it. And then my cousins like making a big deal about it that I was drinking and then being like, wow, I'm so cool. Like, I just, I just drank. Like, that is so cool. And, and alcohol was already like, I knew what it was. And like, you know, I, I had, a, I guess like my dad drank and like casually and things like that. But I just, that memory really stuck to me that I was like, wow, I just drank. And like, that was, that was a big deal. It's a, it's a very, um, it's a very adult moment too, right? You yeah, like that's a good way to put it. As a child, and um, as a child, I think a lot of times we are very powerless. Yes. And, or we are powerless. And, um, and so that moment of like, ooh, this is exciting. This is fun. Right. Can really be something that clicks in us not to mention the physiological did you get drunk was it was it just that much I don't think so I, I think like I convinced myself I was drunk and just that like being excited of like hyperness I was like uh-oh I'm a little hyper but I also had like down to hot chocolate which is just hot sugar so right. you know hard right. to say <laughs> um how was Germany was that fun I, it, yeah I, I think as a kid like I didn't appreciate it because I was like they speak weird and where's, you know, the food's weird. I'm 12. Like, right, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, I was only in an airport there once. I don't remember Got it. anything. Um, so, you, and what what is your sobriety date? October 17th, 2020. October 17th, 2020, in the middle of a pandemic. I know, insane. Um, so, so as a kid, you do that for that first time and it doesn't have any sort of adverse effects um, at what point do you do you do you feel like you you start drinking on the regular? If not alcoholically, it becomes mm -hmm. something that that you find yourself getting into. Right. So I think an important part of this kind of story is, and we're gonna get a little deep here pretty quickly. Okay. Um, is the my, my upbringing itself was pretty chaotic. Um, my parents divorced when I was in like second grade. Um, my mother remarried a man that would go on to be abusive, sexually, emotionally, all these things to me and my sister. So that was my mother's house. And then in my father's house, a lot of emotional violence, um, energy in that house. So from ages like eight to 17, were just like chaos. And I mean, I'll call it trauma. Um, CPTSD is like a diagnosis that, diagnosis that I've gotten over the years, over many therapists. Um, and I just feel like that's important. And I do, I, I mention it in my shares, you know, at meetings and things. Um, because it's like, I mean, that's definitely why drinking stuck with me was like, and that's why like, when I started drinking, I was, I'd say regularly, it was like 15 years old. It was like, throughout high school and then it was like off to the races not to jump ahead but like that just it feels like an important place to kind of start with the alcohol story is that there was some serious abuse um for right. an extended period of time yeah that i think that like during kind of childhood and upbringing there was this like big lack of an ability to create an identity to learn about 
anything that like maybe you're supposed to learn as a child as far as like emotional growth because it was just a lot of like survival you're constantly under attack in one way or another and right there's no it, yeah i mean i think you said it perfectly there's no room for emotional growth whatsoever when that's exactly what right what as kids we're looking for, we're, we're hoping to find, we're, we're, we're craving. And so if you're constantly on the defensive, there's, there's never any time to contemplate yourself as a growing living human being. Right. Um, and that makes it very, very easy to find yourself drinking. Heavily. Yeah. It's a classic story. <laughs> Um, so, so 15 years old, high school, you're like, mm -hmm. okay, um, just on the weekends, are you, what's, what's the, uh, what's the regular routine around alcohol in high school? What is that? Nice yes. Right so it's a lot of like, I grew up in Virginia. Um, so like suburbs, um, a lot of like house parties when parents are away, things like that. Um, my best friend and I would like steal her parents' gin. Uh, she had this like backyard porch that we could like kind of sneak boys over. And I mean, we would drink like a lot, like thinking back and maybe like your tolerance and like ability to, you know, when you're younger, you're not just like an old person yet. Um, we would just binge really young. Um, so so as often as it was like social, I, I was drinking. Um, probably because I liked it and it was an escape, but also because like I mentioned, like I had no sense of self or like social skills. So like being drunk was like easy. It's like, I can party and like, you know, cover any social anxiety I have with this. So it was like a win-win. So mm -hmm. a lot of just like social drinking um, throughout high school, a little like sneaking it here and there on my own um, if it was available, which Actually, I, I have this memory of like around 15 or so, like telling my mom that I thought I was an alcoholic because I was like sneaking, sneaking alcohol before school sometimes, like very rarely, but sometimes. And even then I was like, that feels like something people don't do. And she was just kind of like, nah, you don't know what that is yet. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. And just like never, never said it again. I used to get a ride to school with a, with a friend and he would have um, vodka and orange juice in a little coffee cup or coffee mug on the way to school at seven o'clock in the morning. The morning drink, it has orange juice, it's fine. And yeah, and we were, we were, we were, I was right there with him a couple of times. It's like, sure, why not? There's nothing, we didn't take anything seriously and we, right. we've both been dealing with our own, you know, later on we find out when we, when we talk, talk as adults, right. like, oh wow, you were dealing with that? Oh, yeah. I didn't, I had no idea. I thought we were just having fun, you know? Right. Um, so, so high school is, it sounds, I don't want to say typical, but it sounds like typical high school drinking at house parties. And right. do you think that telling your mother you were an alcoholic was, I mean, is it, I wonder how much of this for, I mean, and for me too, was, is this like, I'm trying to get attention from these people yeah. that I'm desperately craving my validation from, right? Right. Big cry but for hey, help. Maybe right. Be, right. If I tell, if I tell my mother, I'm an alcoholic that maybe she'll listen to me. And even right. that, that doesn't, that's not enough. That gets right. missed, um, which I imagine just exacerbates the drinking. Totally. Totally. Spot on. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so, so through this just continues throughout high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you graduate. Do you graduate? I graduate. Yeah. By the grace of God. Thank you. Um, I graduate. I get into college, um, a small liberal arts college in Richmond, Virginia. So close to home, but like still kind of a sense of independence. Um, And college is like just, again, you know, party central, like just amazing. The best excuse to just drink every day. No one's going to think twice about it. Um, You know, starting to get in the habit of waking up in my own throw up, waking up, peeing the bed, things that are like, oh, it's funny because we're in college and we did 23 jello shots last night and just did a year. Couldn't even tell you one thing I learned in college um, the first time I went. And yeah, big fail there. I ended up dropping out after the first year of college. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I can't imagine. So I didn't, I did not go away to college, and I took classes here and there, at different various mm-hmm. community colleges wherever I was living at the time. But I can't imagine being able to keep the obligation of going to class and being somewhere, and then and then partying like that because yeah, no yeah, way. It's there's especially at that young age and when you're when you're enveloped in that sort of drinking culture that party culture and that badge of um pride and strength to be able to like as a friend of mine would call it boot and rally just like we're gonna puke and then we're gonna keep drinking and and all this stuff um that becomes the the focal point right that becomes like that's that's the identity that we create when we have not had any room or help or support in that emotional um what was the word you used before emotional growth yeah growth is um so college doesn't work the first time and do you see at this point that there's any problem with the way that that you're behaving or is it no way no way it's so not even you know it doesn't even cross my mind that the alcohol is an issue because maybe just because it's so, I mean, definitely because it's just so socially acceptable, you know, in Mm -hmm. college, in high school, we're young. Um, it's just what people do. There was people around me drinking as often in the same amounts as I was, you know, nothing was weird about it. Um, so, and, and, you know, I was like, going to class. I was like doing all right in college. I was holding down jobs. I had a few part-time jobs. Um, so things felt like, you know, functional as much as they could be. Um, and, and so the reason I dropped out was, it's hard to even like pinpoint why I just was like, I'm not, nothing's like happening here. I I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like most of my friends were like, I'm going to be a nurse and I have all my life planned out. And I was like, like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, you know? Mm So I, I drop out, I find this like, it's called a gap, it's like more commonly known as like a gap year program where mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, it was it was like a newer concept at the time and it was based in San Francisco and it was just about as much as I was paying for college, but it was only a year. And it was like, the promises of it were like, we'll teach you everything you need to know to get a job and, and be successful and you don't need college. And like, was kind of like 
in the era of the startup where it's like just hack your way like hack your education kind of thing so i did that and it took me to california which was like a great physical distance i needed from this like hellhole of a of a home and just like up and and left lived in san francisco for half a year um part of part of the program was going abroad so i lived in spain as a nanny for three months and overall was like a good experience but i can definitely point to like oh i was hiding cheap sangria in my backpack while i lived in spain because like i don't know it's cheap there and i can buy it and um it's more fun to nanny when you're buzzed like uh you know i mean it is but <laughs> what um what uh what part of spain did you live in it was like a really really small town um outside of valencia like all kind of off the coast it was called alcarias del nino is like it's like orange groves it's like could be equated to like farmland of virginia mm -hmm. or okay. you know the midwest or something um but it it was a cool experience. Yeah, I was out of my comfort zone. Um, so, so did all that for nine months. And then I moved to New York. And I mean, there's a lot more there. I, I've been in New York now seven years. But yeah, so that was my like dropping out of college experience. So you drop out of college to hack your, yeah. your, your, your adult life. Mm-hmm drinking, you know, while taking care of other people's kids. No, there's no concern. You know, I guess the thing that I, I am, I like that I'm trying to highlight here is that we tend to just see it as part of the of everyday life, that the responsibilities right. seem negligible and, you know, we're doing just fine. Everything is, right. or you've probably heard this word already. It, it's manageable. I'm managing. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. Right. You know, everything's fine. Totally. Get off my back. Yeah. Totally. So, so you do this and Spain's beautiful. I went to, I live, I, I didn't live there. I went there for a month and, and we went to Cadiz and uh, Barcelona and it was, so nice. it was an awesome, awesome time. But yes, there was a lot of excessive drinking there. I remember one point um, sitting at a outdoor cafe with my friend and he was getting lunch and I think I'd already eaten. It was one of those days where we kind of separated and came back. And I said, can I get a rum and orange juice? I don't know why it's nothing I've ever <laughs> drank before in my life. And the waiter comes over with the bottle of rum and he just starts pouring. And I'm thinking at some point he's going to stop <laughs> and it just goes, it fills up and I'm like, okay, that's enough. And we get the bill and my rum and orange juice was much, was more than his eggs and potatoes it, or whatever meal. it was. Yeah. And it was just like, <laughs> so much there were and again i i don't like to dwell on regrets but um i don't think that i got the full spanish yes. experience that i really really could have had i been totally. a little more clear-headed you know yeah um so this happens and what what prompts you to move to new york is there something big or something i mean I so so after spain i had to go home because i had nowhere to go i had no money mm -hmm. um so I, so I'm actually home for a couple months, uh, working just like waiting tables and a friend of mine who was like, a like one of my like best party friends in college, um, was like, I'm moving to New York. Uh, do you want to come? Like, do you want to just stay on my basement floor until you find your own place? And it just felt like, yeah, okay. I love New York. Um, wanted to be in a big city definitely wanted to get out of Virginia and it just worked. So I just packed up, uh, went with him and 
slept on a twin mattress on his like basement apartment floor until I found a job. And wow. yeah, that's how I got here and never left. I can't, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I will say this about New York. I've been there twice, once as an adult. Um, mm -hmm. And it is exactly what it appears to be in the movies. Like it's one of the <laughs> places in the world where I've gone and I'm like, oh, I've seen this exact thing on film somewhere. And it yeah. feels that way. Um, I can't imagine the chaos. I think, I think maybe Chaotic. I missed my window for <laughs> enjoying the chaos, embracing the chaos of a large city. I, at one point I did want to live in San Francisco as a young person and it just mm -hmm. didn't work out. Um, and I can't imagine, I, I had a very bad weekend in San Francisco. I mean, it was fun, but it was, mm -hmm. I threw up all over somebody's recyclables and I get kicked out of their house. Oh, nice. It was a mess, yes. <laughs> so, um, so New York basement on the floor, you, you get it together and you find your own place to live in New York City. That's, mm -hmm. I mean, that seems like a fairly big accomplishment. Not many yeah. people do that. That's not something well, a lot of people do. I mean, yeah. I And that's like, you know, when I say like functional, like that's kind of what I meant as a, you know, I was like, what, 19? And I'm like, I'm doing fine. Like I'm, you know, bar, I'm like barista-ing, waiting tables. Like I have enough money in the bank. I'm you know, in New York, like so many people want to be here. Like I'm living the dream. And I kind of was like, I love New York. I still love New York. And, um, but you know, in the context of substance abuse, like this is the city for it, you know, if there is one. Um, so definitely like the chaos is like embraced, but also like not great just kind of like a, a further reason to to keep up the, the craziness yeah and this entire time that you're you're drinking while this is all going on and you've you're you're functioning and you're managing in new york city um do you have are there when do you begin to feel like actually feel the effects of your drinking or the problems? I mean, does it become problematic or is it still just, I'm fun, I'm fine, I'm functional? Yeah, so, I mean, it had become just such, and, and you kind of mentioned this, that it's just like, just something that's so ingrained, you know? It's like, it's just something I do. It's just something I do. I'm always hungover because it's just something I always am. I'm used to waking up for my 5 a.m., you know, barista shift hungover because of course, and things are like going all right. Um, I guess I see it the most in like my relationships, friendships, personal relationships, like sexual relationships, just recklessness. Um, not really thinking twice about it because it's New York and you know, whatever, everyone's just doing their own thing. But I find it really hard to like hold down a relationship I have a lot of just like emotional issues, anger, um, you know, really emotionally manipulative in my relationships, like really drawn to like toxic people, people that love to drink, love to drug as hard as I did. So like didn't make for great, you know, communication or relationships. Um, so it was really in that. And I find it so interesting because from like even such a young age, I was always like really interested in like 
fixing myself and like understanding myself and like being just like better and being normal. And I re- like I remember when I was in around high school, I had like really horrible panic attacks, like physical panic attacks. And I remember like Googling how to stop panic attacks and some like cognitive behavioral therapy worksheet pops up and I like therapy my way out of panic attacks and like stop having panic attacks. And, you know, even when I was in New York, like my first year, I found a great therapist. She's actually still my therapist today. Um, And, you know, bless her heart, this poor woman, I would go into her office and be like, Ugh, my my boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever I was dating at the time, like, we got in a fight last night, and I was blacked out. And, you know, we got in this huge fight, and I don't really understand what's going on and would like, list every possible reason that these relationships weren't working out, except alcohol, like that was not even a thing. (laughs) Like this poor woman was like, "Mm, you know, like, have you thought about the drinking? And I'm like, No, you know, why would I do that? She asked you that? And, oh, yeah. yeah, she definitely I think what I think and we've talked about it now because she she's still my therapist now as a sober person. And I think she probably brought it up once and I had this like visceral reaction to it. And she was like, all right, you know, like that's a we don't touch that. Um, so that's where I guess I, I definitely started to see it become like a problem um, or it, it was at least like a pattern things would happen like I would wake up still like in my own throw up in my own pee as like a 25 year old like it still had like it's still things that were like I was definitely wasn't like fun college things anymore um but like at the same time life seemed functional I was managing restaurants I got like a GM position of a like New York restaurant when I was like 25 and I was like oh I'm like living like I'm crushing it you know mm-hmm. Or, you know, I was making money. I was like living in a nice apartment. I, but at the same time was like also having these like really low lows and hitting like weird bottoms. Like I had, and I'll just say this now and I'll give it some space in case you want to cut this out because it's like a little much. Please, please, please. We, we, yes. Because I don't mind. I'm very open and like, But I had this month of like, when I was, I'd say like 24, 25, where I, I guess I like lost a job or something and was really broke. And it was getting to the point where I was like, I can't make rent. And that was the first time I'd ever felt that way. And I like joined one of those like sugar daddy websites where I was like, I'll just get a sugar daddy, like easy. And we was just looking for like, the easiest solution, like quick money, quick money, which slowly turned into like a three month bender of me just like getting blackout drunk and like having sex with old men for money, like nothing romantic about it. No, you know, just like plain old, you know, sex for money, something that I like could never do sober. And that didn't even like phase me at the time I was like oh this is just something people do this is like this is like a feminist thing to do this is like I'm empowering and I was like in danger most of the time was like in cheap hotel rooms get taking drinks from strangers doing like drugs with strange like just like so like that's how people end up just dead in New York and never once crossed my mind that like I I had to take seven shots of vodka before I even thought about doing that. Like just 
you know, so, so as I'm like hitting these bottoms, also hitting these highs that I'm like, this is just like how life goes. Like we, we have lows and we have highs and, and never accounting for the substance for so long. Yeah. That that was just an acceptable part of the equation. That was, that was a part of life. That was, that was something I was, I am going to have to manage around because I need to have that in my life. Right. Regardless of, of how I'm going to make money or what level of danger I'm going to put myself in. Right. Those are acceptable risks to continue to have drugs and alcohol in my life because that is what is most important. Totally. It's, it's powerful. It's, it's deep. It's really, really deep. And I, you know, I, um, I heard a lot, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, and how you made it unscathed. Gosh. From yeah. Three months. Yeah, I like, I mean, just insane situations. And I think the last one I had, <laughs> I like walked into this man's apartment and he had um, a life-size teddy bear sitting on his couch, fully dressed mm -hmm. in like human clothes. And I remember just like walking to the bathroom and texting my roommate at the time and like sending her my location being like, hey, if you don't hear from me in like an hour, like I'm dead here. <laughs> like this is like where it's going to end. And that was the closest I had felt to like real danger that like, it kind of snapped me out of it. And I was like, all right, we're done. Like, we're going to stop doing that. Right. So unscathed physically, you know, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> right, right. It's a relative term. I understand. Um, right. Physically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what year is this, that this, that this is going on? So let's think. So I moved to New York in like, let's say 2013. Okay. So that's probably like 2015, a couple right. years in. Yeah. So, so you still got a good five years of drinking. What happens in that, <laughs> in that, that if that bottom, and like you said, you've, you've reached, you've gone through a few, um, but um, if that one didn't shock you out of it, mm -hmm. um, what was the one or what led to the one that was like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to have to actually change how I'm living my life. Right. So I, I had actually gotten sober, I'll say in like 2017 for a very brief period of time, I was dating a woman who she was sober, like had gone to rehab um, and was like in AA and I just like did not care about that. I was like, all right, she had like gone to Harvard and had a bunch of money. And I was like, rehab is what rich people do when they need a vacation. Like I was like, her right. sobriety is not real and was like so disrespectful of her, her own journey. And um, she was actually the first person to be like, hey, you have a drinking problem. Like you should stop. And because we were like dating and I valued our relationship and was probably a little dependent on it. I was like, all right, I'll stop because I'm going to lose this relationship. I stopped for like maybe 30 days, no program, nothing like that. Um, and then immediately started drinking. like, you know, it lasted 30 days, started drinking again. And then that relationship ended. So that was my like only try at sobriety. Um, you know, years went on, I, I was managing restaurants, having a few, I'd say in like 2000, like right before the pandemic, like 2018, 19, 
I was managing a restaurant that was like particularly stressful, like 80 hour work weeks and drinking like more than I'd ever drank in my life. We, we had had this like um, white wine on tap and it was like some cheap house wine and wine is like, was like my, my drink. And I mean, I, I think I was like, no one would order that. And we'd like run out of it weekly. Like I was just like behind the bar and I was also prescribed clonopin, um, which is like a benzo and mm-hmm. for panic attacks. So I started to like mix those and would like follow, kept falling asleep in Ubers to the point of them almost calling ambulances. Cause I wouldn't wake up and like, just kind of like scary stuff like that. Um, like waking up, not knowing where I was like falling asleep on the the subway line, waking up in Coney Island, like just shit like that, where you're like, what is going on? Um, and it just stops becoming fun, you know? So 20, the, the pandemic hits and Mm -hmm. I'm actually, I live, I'm living alone at this point and drinking so much because it's just like, there's nothing else to do. I'm like, everything's closed, right? I mean, New York was the the Dead. epicenter of mm-hmm. like everything right like yeah. what was uh, what was that like it was horrible it was so lonely it was i mean at the time i was actually working in um a rock climbing gym and mm-hmm. so i i lost my job um i'm actually this is like a small part i always leave this out but i feel like this is important i i'm back in school now i actually got i'm I go to Columbia. I got back in in one of their programs and I'm studying psychology. So that's something that like is now in psychology. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I that's like a big priority for me. And it's one of I'll say the reasons that I got sober. But um, so right. The pandemic hits. School goes online. All Zoom. um, Everything shuts down. I live in Manhattan in the Upper West Side. And it's like a ghost town. Like, I think I didn't even leave my apartment for like three weeks when it first hit because it was just like scary. I was like, I know when I get sick, I get really sick. Like if I get COVID, I'm gonna die. Like I was like very anxious and yeah, it was creepy. You know, it's, it was, it was a lot. It was a heavy year. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, that's, that's, it's, I, I only saw stories, you know, and it yeah. was very, it was a little bit different here, obviously, but, um, but it doesn't, I feel like that being stuck inside exacerbates, has exacerbated for a lot of people, the alcoholism, mm-hmm. because you literally have no other distractions. And I don't know about you, but there's only so much fucking Netflix and, you know, HBO max I can watch. And I'm just like, I don't even want to do this anymore. When, yeah. did, you know, I'd be like, I don't want to binge any more TV. This is, this is obnoxious. I can't stand it. And then yeah. being terrified, thinking that everything outside was covered in disease. And then mm-hmm. to go to the little market by my house and to see not just the grocery store, cause fuck that yeah. but the little market and to see like, everything's bare and people are going, where are the eggs? And there's no rice. And I'm like, what is really happening here? And not, you know, and it's one thing to look back and understand that we were kind of creating the panic that was causing more panic, right? You know, toilet shortage, ha ha ha. But there was a period of time where it was fucking scary. And I can't imagine having to drink on top of that. 
Yeah. Like, how do you I make mean, booze delivered to the house? Yeah, yeah. I had a wine, like there's like a wine delivery kind of uh -huh. service that I would use. And eventually I would just go, I mean, yeah, like Whole Foods delivered, whatever, you know, they, they have alcohol. And eventually as it slowed down, I would just, you know, go to my little wine shop and get a couple bottles like a day. Cause it's just, again, like there was nothing to do. And you say you can't imagine drinking. And I'm like, I can't imagine having to have been sober the whole time. Like, I mean, I got sober like kind of late into the whole pandemic. So, I mean, I can't imagine that, but so, so yeah, the, yeah, go ahead. What well, I just, what happened in October? What was right? What was different? So, so life kind of started to open up in, in the city in, um, I'll say in like the summertime, um, mm -hmm. once people kind of got comfortable going outside, things like that. Um, so in the summer, I get this job. I'm helping run outdoor comedy shows um, for this club. And I meet a comedian, this very charming man. And we start this kind of relationship. Um, he's like a really good guy. He's really funny. And, you know, relationships are important to me. Um, something that, you know, I'm working on not being dependent on, but has always kind of been a focal point of like exacerbating my issues around alcohol because when I drink, I tend to like lash out at the people that I really care about. And it was just like a habit of mine. So October 17th is my sober date. October 14th is my like birthday, um, like my birth birthday. Right. Um, so I'm celebrating my, my 27th birthday in October and I have a bunch of people, well, not a bunch, gosh, COVID. I had like four people over. Oh, <laughs> it was safe, yes. I promise. <laughs> it, was, it felt like a bunch. It was like four people over. We had a bunch of alcohol was what was on my mind. And this guy I'm seeing, um, we've been seeing each other for a few months at this point, comes over and I'm excited for him to meet my friends. And me and him had drinking, you know, together occasionally, but this was probably the first time he really saw me like get drunk. And... I do my whole get trashed, have a pity party, get in my own emotions, lash out at him. He's so confused. Like, who is this person? What is this person? It's like bad. And we fight. He leaves. The next day, I wake up, drink, get a hand tattoo because that's another, you know, coping mechanism. I'm like, that'll fix everything. And have a bunch more drinks that night. This guy's still not talking to me. I think I've ruined everything. I wake up the next day after drinking myself into oblivion on my couch in my own vomit and just wake up and I'm like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> like, it just was that. It was like, I have ruined yet another potential relationship. I am 27. I feel far too old for this. And it's just kind of like time to call it. And I now I'm like, I don't know if it was a God moment, if it was a sub, you know, or just like an end of my rope kind of thing. Like this just isn't working anymore. Like this coping mechanism, alcohol just isn't working anymore. Um, it just didn't work. 
so that was like the 15th was my last day of drinking i um kind of like weaned myself off of it for a few days because i had gone cold turkey before and had like pretty bad withdrawals um so yeah october 17th was my first sober date i popped myself into a zoom meeting um which I kind of credit now as to why the program has been so successful for me is because I think it was so accessible with the Zoom where I was like, I don't think I would have had the courage to like walk into an in-person meeting. Um, so the Zoom was like great for me. I've heard you guys talk about it before and like how it's kind of weird, and but yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for if that's the only thing you know, and I will say right. this about, you use the word courage. Yeah. And um, it didn't feel that way for me walking yeah. into that first room. It was more desperation and being broken and like mm -hmm. dragging my, you know, drunk carcass with me to like <laughs> just the final, just and throwing it through the door in hopes that maybe I could come back to life. Yeah. Um, and so the Zoom meetings, and this is something that is brand new to me and- yeah just to hear from somebody who, where did you find it? You just Googled it, right? I guess, you yeah. know, you Google the mm -hmm. uh, cognitive behavioral therapy <laughs> test. And so you're just like, how do I get into, you're just like Zoom AA meetings. Yeah. Had you heard of it or you were just like, I need, I'm an alcoholic, I need help. I think I just looked up AA meetings mm -hmm. and yeah, because my therapist, the first time, that first time I got sober for my girlfriend, she had mentioned like, why don't you go to a meeting? And I was like, that's for homeless people and people on benches and like, what? I was like, I just party too much, you know, uh -huh, right. that whole thing. Um, so yeah, I think I just looked it up and, you know, the inner group just found so many and, you know, went to like beginner young people meetings. I, I just tried like everything. I went to them like every day. I, mm -hmm. I like kind of loved them. Like they were, they were fun. I love right. narrative and writing. And so I love stories. You know, I love I think that's probably why I love your guys' podcast. It just feels like stories and I, I, I yeah. So yeah, the Zoom meetings were great. So great. then, so then how does that work um, as far as, so you start going to Zoom meetings and you're like, this is for me. This is what's mm -hmm. going to take the place I have. You, you make the decision. I mean, you, you wake up and puke for the last time and you're like, I can't, I can't do this again. And I had a very similar sort of, oddly it, uh, epiphany is the wrong word it was just like okay yeah. this is not working anymore right just gotta stop yeah um what so i guess what do you get a sponsor right away how does that work or do you just kind of sit and and listen yeah so for the first few meetings i definitely like turn my camera off like do not call on me like if they called on me to like read or something i like close my computer i'm like nope like was terrified but was listening like listening and i remember like always at the end them saying you know if you need a sponsor stick around put your number in the chat whatever and i remember seeing um seeing a woman on one of the little Zoom panels be like, hey, I need a sponsor. Like she put her name in the chat. And I just kind of was like looking at the little panels and I was like, oh, she's a younger woman. Like, okay. And just kind of like gave her my phone number. And it's so funny because she actually just told me this story, but she told me that a couple of days before I messaged her, 
her her boyfriend whose name was Tyler broke up with her and she was like looking for something new and was kind of like praying for a sponsee she's like I need to do service and me a Taylor like I don't know if it's anything you know she's like could be and I just like pop into her her zoom message so yeah I messaged her and was like I need a sponsor and I think that was one of my smartest decisions in the program because the sponsorship, the step work for me has been like very important. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I found my sponsor. And did you just start working together via FaceTime or did you make a conscious yeah. decision? Yeah. So, yes. So this is such a trip because this is yeah. so, this is like brand new stuff. Mm -hmm. This is like, next generation stuff yeah yeah the future's here <laughs> the future is here so you facetime with your sponsor mm -hmm. and do the steps on mm -hmm. facetime mm -hmm. huh i wow. know it's, and, it's wacky and everything everything sticks and you take to it immediately and it's all sunshine and rainbows or <laughs> like what is your how what is your feeling about like going through all that what was that like yeah so it's funny actually because the f so i so i i reach out to her we have a couple phone calls and then she actually invites me to um a meeting an in-person meeting in central park um so it's like an outdoor meeting mm -hmm. and this was like maybe four days after i had reached out to her and we had had our initial phone call and I'm like, all right, I guess I'll just do it. And she's like, come to this meeting. And I remember walking through Central Park and it's kind of late. So it's like dark out and I'm like kind of lost. Central Park's very big. And I like stumble upon it. I'm a little late and I just see all these people like sitting in a circle on the grass. I'm like, what am I like, what the hell? And I'm like, I could just turn around and go home, delete this woman's number and no one has to know I tried AA. Like I didn't tell anyone yet, but I just do it. You know, I'm just like, just in that moment for me, it was this like humbling, like you're not better than this. Like, you know, just do it do it, see if it works, what's the worst that could happen. Um, so that was actually my first and only in-person experience with my sponsor. And yeah, so then so then from there, it's all FaceTime. It's all, you know, phone calls. Um, we do the step work over FaceTime. She gives me, you know, my assignments and it is not all sunshine and rainbows um, at first and still isn't, you know, it's, it's like good days, bad days. Um, I'm still in therapy in tandem with the step work. And even my therapist is like, she's not that familiar with AA. And even sometimes she'll be like, it's crazy how much these steps are like therapy. She's like, it's, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> like, and I'm like, it is. It's very similar to just like, I'm like, everyone should do these. Why are just alcoholics doing these? Like, why are I know, we? I know lots of people who need this. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, I mean, that's awesome. I, I really, especially in this time and to hear that 
from me going like, yeah, I don't really want, and I haven't been to a Zoom meeting in a long time. I kind of just, mm-hmm. it just kind of fizzled out. And I was like, I don't know, like, it's just not the same and I'm not getting the same thing and all yeah. the beautiful faces and the screens and, you know, people doing weird shit. And it's like, it doesn't feel like I'm there and I'm connected. Yeah. That's just my own hang up because obviously there's something there. Mm-hmm. There's something valuable. There's something worth checking out if you can come to it in the, you know, I, I, it's still in the middle of a pandemic yeah, and be able to do it from the comfort or discomfort of your own home. I mean, I think there's probably something there. There's probably a barrier of like walking into a church basement or a community center or wherever that um, has been kind of let down, you know, brought down. That's no totally. longer there because I can just pop open a Zoom meeting and check it out and be like, if I don't like this, like, okay, bye. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be one that's in New York City, right? Oh yeah, any of them. Yeah. Glasgow, uh, yeah. Tokyo, um, <laughs> anywhere, right? Like yeah. it's, and that was one of the cool things when I would go traveling is I would go and mm-hmm. I, I went to one in Hawaii out on the beach and I went to one in Boston and it so was good. so bizarrely different and yet, so similar Same. and so yeah. yeah so i i'm a little uh like this is surprising to me that it still works and that and that the, it's it's a testament to the stuff that's in the book that it can still translate yeah i mean it is it's interesting because even my sponsor who you know has three three four years She's like, oh, I feel bad for you. You know, the in-person is what it's all about. And I'm like, I don't know. It's fine. You know, it's like, it's all right. I'm a, I'm a hip millennial. I can use Zoom. Uh-huh. And, you know, as things start to open up, um, I've been to a few in-person meetings now. And I've met um, other young women and made friends and, like, hang out with sober women. Like, it feels probably like I'm still getting that fellowship element mm-hmm. you know um I actually literally just before we had I met you I was speaking at a meeting on zoom like sharing so that's why I had to do a little late tonight but so it's like still it's alive and well it's it's happening that's that's awesome and that's really makes me happy um you know because we don't I'm not interested in in I've never been interested in trying to promote any one particular brand of sobriety or recovery um, because it doesn't seem helpful. Uh, But to hear this from you and to hear that you came to it in a completely different way um, is just, and I'm repeating myself here, but it's just a really an awesome thing that, that, that it can still work, that it doesn't have to be this sort of like, Oh, you don't get the, to say you're not getting what you need and it's like right. well i guess it's there and you can take what you need and um yeah so so you've been so we're looking at what like six months seven mm-hmm. months something like six that months. yeah so that's still very very fresh and very new are you um have you gone through all the steps have you done it all already or are you sort of in the middle of okay all right i mean no, it's fine. I'm I'm step I'm working on step six. Okay. Step four took me quite some time. Um mm-hmm. and that was like 
that was tough for me. I, I had to like a lot of therapy in tandem with, with mm-hmm. that step, the working through some resentments. Um, so st- I'm on step six, um, six, seven ish. They're kind of right. like similar. Um, uh-huh. right. So, so yeah, so far so good. I mean, it's just like, so crazy like how different life looks you know Mm -hmm. a year I mean even just with the pandemic but through sobriety it's like I do yoga now like you know like what's going on Uh yeah well I mean you start to realize you yep I mean we have to fill our time somehow Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're not hung over all the time and you have all this extra energy and you know you're like oh well let's let's go do some yoga or you know there's any number of us obsessive sober runners who have <laughs> extra energy that I have to burn it off but mm-hmm. um wow I mean I I'm just I'm just totally blown away and it's like and just it's it's still it's just a trip to me I'm I'm that's awesome um what do you like what is your biggest struggle in in recovery right now and dealing with with everything in the last six months so I guess and this is something like I heard, I heard this quote in a meeting and it's stuck with me is that like getting sober does not solve all your problems. It just lets you start working on them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like where I'm at is like, I'm just starting to work on my shit. That's like so deep rooted and so just like ingrained in me, these bad habits, you know, anxiety, depression, you know, other bad habits that I need to break. That's not just drinking. But like the sobriety and the steps are just like a gift because I, I could, there's no way I'd be able to do the work I'm doing drunk, you know? And so, so I guess it's just that. I mean, honestly, since getting through step four, it's felt like uh, easy, like everything else feels easy. <laughs> but yeah, I guess, I, I guess my biggest struggle right now is the anxiety of, honestly the anxiety of the world like reopening and and wondering like what challenges will be there in in context of sobriety because part of me is like am i just not drinking because i can't like the bars aren't open you know like am i not drinking because i'm not around it like everyone's stuck inside like i have no idea what life's going to look like when it's you know quote quote normal so Mm -hmm that anxiety is is there but you know the one day at a time mantra is you know important well i think i think one thing um with that kind of anxiety that i have found to be helpful is that and especially i i tend to overthink a lot of things and and think ahead and i will i constantly am having imaginary arguments that never come to fruition and conversations and stuff like that and so when you say things like i don't know what it's going to be like when the bars are open down the street when i walk past and i don't know if it's you know where my i think about san francisco and walking down the streets and there's be these little dark coves <laughs> and alleyways and little oh, yeah. doors that are open it'll be sunny and bright outside and i'll be like oh i hear the glasses mm-hmm. clinking in there and it's kind of yeah. dark and yeah exactly so what would what's going to keep me from being in there and um i think you know i've always just had a plan yeah. and because i i get i get i still get asked by people like hey do you want to go get a drink and i don't know if it's that they just 
that my sobriety is not there. You know, it's just not on their mind. Right. I to a winery the other day. I were a guy that I work with was like, Hey, it's my birthday. Do you want to go out for drinks? And I thought I had already told him that I don't drink and maybe I did, but again, it's his birthday. He's thinking about his birthday. And so, um, you know, I think I just always have a plan and I always Mm -hmm. have an exit strategy and I always go, Oh, so we're, I'm going to this event. Um, well, I'm going to have to make sure I have my own ride home. Right. Um, I'm going to, I will go through the number of people that I have to say hello to. And then right. once that, that list has been checked off, then I'm free to go. If I'm not enjoying myself, I'll get out of there. Um, this dinner that I got invited to, I was like, you know, it's at a winery and it's, I don't want to be there for four hours stuck in a seat and not that I feel like I'm going to drink now, but it just wouldn't be fun when everyone else around right. me is getting drunk. Totally. So, I mean, I think about that a lot when, you know, when you think about how things are changing so much and um, what it's going to be like, but yeah. um, it's definitely a valid anxiety to have and a valid concern to have because the world is going to be completely different in yeah. a month or two or maybe four, whatever, whatever it is. Right. Um, what has been your, like, like, what has been your biggest, um, joy in the last six months? What has been your, what is, what has been the thing that you're like, your biggest relief? Biggest relief. That's a good question. I guess, I mean, it's just, I feel so, I I feel like whatever I say is going to sound so corny, but like. I just feel really lucky that like I didn't waste any more time. I, you know, it's like, I already feel old and I, I, maybe that's like, I know it's like, I'm 27, but you know, I'm like still an undergrad in college. I didn't finish the normal time. I like feel like I'm already behind in so many things that it's like, I guess I just feel lucky that I have the chance to like, to, to like figure out who I even am. Like, I think a big part of my story is this like desperate search for an identity. And like just the last six months, like the pleasure of getting to know myself has been great. You know, like, yeah. what do I like? What do I care about? What don't I like? And the like kind of permission to put myself first and my needs first is definitely a huge relief where it's like, yeah, like I, I am worth this kind of like self self care, self work, whatever you want to call it has been like such a gift, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, just to have that freedom to get to know ourselves and to have that, the freedom to be able to, you're like, Oh, I get to work on my problems. And I've had to kind of carp, compartmentalize them and you go, okay, well, I've got the, the, the emotional stuff. And then I've got the stuff with my father and then I have to work on my fitness. And then, oh, there's that whole financial aspect that I have, you know, been dealing with on and off. And maybe I shouldn't have spent that, um, you know, 18 months living on credit cards, but it was really nice to not work. And now I've got, you know, so like all these weird, whatever the weird little thing is, I don't feel overcome with guilt and shame Mm -hmm. and I don't feel burdened. I'm like, okay, so this is a problem and Mm -hmm. I've got to figure out how to solve it. Yeah. And like, we can solve it. It's like, 
Right. That's great. Yeah. What a what a concept, you know? <laughs> that we have the ability, the power, and the freedom to do so right. is such an amazing thing. And I, I just, I mean, I don't know about you, but I would not be doing that if I was drunk. No way. You know? And um, <laughs> it's just to to be able to wake up without a hangover. What a superpower that is. That's a huge one. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, what a huge one. That's, mm -hmm. I can't even like downplay that. You know, that's like, it's, that's huge. Yeah. Big deal. <laughs> and I, I can say as somebody who was a 38 year old alcoholic bartender, mm -hmm. um, 27 is not old. 27 is, you got the world, you know, like really, like it's, it's whatever, whenever you feel like you're feeling old, just, just remember that you are, I mean, God, you get to get sober in your twenties. That's awesome. That's huge. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. I don't know. Is there anything else? Is there any, do you have anything else to share or say or yeah. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and I'm glad that you reached out to me and I think it's an extraordinarily uh, it's a unique story. You know, we like to say, well, we're not that unique, but just in the time that we are, it's, you know, your, your story is a recovery or uh, your story is a story of recovery now in 2020, 2021. And that's, yeah. that's something pretty awesome too. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. <laughs> good, good. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah.